0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Oh, it's good to be with you all. I honestly just love so many of you. And if I don't know, don't yet, yeah, it's because I haven't met you yet. So come and say hello afterwards. Um, but well done everybody for being here both in the room and watching online I want you to give yourselves a big pat on the back can you just do that a big pat on the back and say I made it to church You watching online, you made it to church, so good to have you here, and even during worship, I just had a sense from God that he was wanting to encounter some of you, well, all of you, but some of you especially, even just during this word, so while I ramble on, bear in mind a story that comes from the Acts of the Disciples, which is a guy called Peter is preaching, and as he's talking to them, and talking about Jesus... God powerfully meets people. And so if you are expecting today, if you want to encounter God for yourself afresh, if you need healing in your body, healing in your mind, honestly, just look to Jesus. And I believe that he can minister to you where you are sat. So can I get an amen? Amen, amen means I agree or truly. So even if you don't agree with me, but you know what I'm saying is true, you can say I'm to that as well throughout the message. Is that, is that Agreed? Truly! Brilliant! Uh, so thank you, Senior Pastors Stephen and Angie Campbell, for inviting me to talk today. So I've already been announced, my name's Elspeth, but by way of introduction, I live in Cambridge, I sleep, work, eat, have family in Cambridge. I don't eat my family, but we do all of these things in Cambridge, and I actually work down the road at Addenbrooke's Hospital So I have many clients, I work as a psychologist there, but for the past six months, I've traded in all of those clients for one specific client on my maternity leave. She's fairly demanding, but I do really love her, but the the pay is quite terrible, and uh, I do a lot of night shifts. In fact, uh, for the past six months, I think I've been up every single night except one. And that was on my 31st birthday, on the 28th of October, 2021. I said to Josh, look, I'm going to cash in some annual leave here. Josh is my husband. And I said, I'm going to sleep in the spare room. Um, So you do all the night feeds. And I slept soundly. Which, to be honest, was quite miraculous, because uh, uh, my daughter's up quite a lot, but my husband can sleep through anything. (laughs) There's some laughs and some people nodding, yeah, absolutely, I feel like this is maybe a common thing. Um, (laughs) When we first got married, I used to go sleepwalking, and I mean, I was pretty raucous. I would jump over him, um, kind of land on my knees, get carpet burn on my knees, I'd pull curtain rails off. All the time Josh would just be sound asleep and I'd say, you know, I woke up in lounge the other day and I was holding the bookshelf. Absolutely no idea what was going on. So I was a bit nervous that he wouldn't wake up. Anyway, just before Christmas, uh, unfortunately the three of us got coronavirus. Ooh, yeah we go. Anyway, thankfully it was a mild dose, but I said to him, look. I need a bit of help with the nighttime feeds. I need to kind of have a bit of sick leave here. So I said, you go into the spare room tonight. And he says, you know, I'm going to be a loving husband. I'll get up. I'll feed the baby. Uh, but just let me know when she's crying. <laughs> so um, there we go. Yeah, go figure. So, I, so basically at 3 a.m. I thought, okay, I've done the 1 o'clock feed. Here I am, 3 o'clock. So I tiptoe to the spare room. I stand in the doorway. I open the door and I say, Josh, wake up. Josh, Absolutely nothing. Nothing's going on. So this time I say, Joshua, full name. Wake up. Nothing. So I think, how can I get this guy's attention? I'm stood at the doorway. Baby's crying. And so I walk in the room. I start kicking the end of the bed and flapping his duvet. And I say, Josh, will you wake up? Absolutely nothing. The guy is, well, either that or he's pretending. But (laughs) either way, he wasn't waking up. So I went back to the door. I thought, how can I get this guy's attention to wake him up? So I say, Josh, wake up. I flick the light on, dimmer switch. I put it on like a little bit low, and he starts twitching, and I think, right, okay, I'm going to get his attention. So I spin the dimmer switch. The lights come blaring, and I say, Josh, here I am. Wake up. At which point, he is a bit startled. He looks up, and he scowls at me, and he says, the lights are too bright. By which point, he lifts the duvet back over his head and falls back to sleep. (sighs) yeah, some of you can relate to that. But friends, this morning, I really had this impression that Jesus is stood at the door of your life, at the door of our nation, and he says, here I am, wake up, wake up. In Revelation chapter 3, Revelation is the final book of the Bible. And it's written by a guy called John. And John records the direct words of Jesus spoken to a church. And he says this, Jesus in the doorway. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received or the gospel and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Repent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock, wake up. Friends, this isn't the meek and mild baby Jesus of the nativity scene that we've come from. This is the Jesus that we sung about this morning who knots together some cords to make a whip to cleanse the temple which is supposed to hold his presence. This is the Jesus who comes and kicks the end of the bed and shakes it, who stands with a dimmer switch saying, Can I get your attention? Because here I am. Will you wake up? Will you wake up? And friends, we don't need to look far to know that we need to wake up. This is why revivals are often called awakenings. Because it awakens something in us. We are revived. We come to, we see Jesus at the door, and we respond to him. In fact, in December last year, the Church Times did a study, and I think they said something like 32% of churches are in decline since the COVID lockdown. What they've said is that, yeah, people are kind of still coming, but they are not engaging. In fact, they kind of come once a month, maybe. Maybe they tune in once a month. It's a little bit like we're sleepwalking. We're lying in bed. Oh, yeah, I've got the duvet, though. Yeah, hi, Jesus, over there. In fact, 17% of churches no longer offer children's ministries. Something like 25% offer no youth ministries anymore. Friends, we as a nation need to wake up. So the question then, and I want to go through this in three parts because, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church. The first one then is how does Jesus get our attention? And the first point is revival is revelation. So for me, when I was trying to get Josh's attention to wake him up, I was doing everything I could. I was flashing lights, shouting, shaking the bed. Jesus, how does he get our attention? He reveals himself. God reveals himself. And we see this in the scriptures. So in the New Testament, there's a man called Saul. And Saul comes, he hates Christians. He's come from killing some Christians. And he goes to somewhere else and he wants to go and kill some more Christians. I mean, this guy really hates Christianity. He hates Jesus. And on the way there, God reveals himself to Saul. Literally, the dimmer lights come on, bright, kind of blight, bright, bright, blinding lights come and impact Saul. Saul has a revelation of Jesus raised from the dead. That gets his attention. He is revived, he wakes up to this greater reality. In the Old Testament or the first part of your Bibles, there's a man called Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet to the nation. In other words, God uses him as a mouthpiece to talk to people. And God reveals himself to Isaiah, and in chapter 6, it says this. This is the revelation that Isaiah had. "'I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne.' And the train of his robe filled the temple. It's a bit like Princess Diana's wedding dress, isn't it? Filling the church. Above him were seraphim or angels, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces, two, they covered their feet, and two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. I should have used that with Josh. And the temple was filled with smoke. How does God get our attention to wake us up? Well, he reveals himself. And he does this by his revealing his awesomeness. In other words, he puts some awe into us when we see God. And the Bible calls this his glory. See, when God chooses to come down and manifest his presence on earth, it is glorious. Now, the word glory comes from two Hebrew words. The first meaning of the word glory is weighty, important. Uh, There's a seriousness about it. There's kind of a gravity attached to it. And the other word for glory is it's majestic, it's splendid, and it is worthy of honor, worthy of respect. God's presence is glorious. I studied in London on the Strand, which is basically a long road in the middle of London. And on that road opposite the university was the Royal Courts of Justice, and basically, they're kind of the national courtrooms for the country. And if you go in, it's called a kind of the Great Hall, and it's this incredible Victorian architecture made to look like a church. And that place is glorious. On one hand, you know that this place has great authority to it. There's an importance, a weightiness. And the other part is that it is splendid. It is, the way it is built is awe-inspiring, and it demands respect. It demands honor. How much more, then, when Isaiah has a revelation of God's glory? This is so attention-grabbing and otherworldly. I mean, he sees angels with a crazy number of wings declaring that God is so holy, he is so set apart and pure and in a category of his own. That is attention-grabbing stuff. And quite often, then, when we think about revival or times of awakening, times in human history where God chooses to manifest his presence here on earth quite often those, those times are weighty and they are worthy of respect. So in the 20th century, by way of example, there was a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, which is an incredible name, and he goes to a prayer meeting, and in this prayer meeting, this room is filled with a cloud, a cloud like you might imagine, kind of a smoke thing, and he says, it was the presence of God kind of manifest in this room. It was a bit weird kind of attention-grabbing stuff, and it was weighty. In fact, the cloud wasn't kind of weightless. There was a, not only a seriousness and importance, but there was a physical weight attached to this cloud. In fact, nobody could stand up underneath it. In fact, when I was 10 years old, I had my first kind of encounter with God here kind of on earth. And I remember it was literally like if you've ever had a bucket of water thrown at you or you've kind of been in a log flume and the pressure of water kind of coming for you, it can kind of knock you back. And I remember encountering God's presence and I literally couldn't stand up. A 10-year-old, I didn't know that was what people did, uh, or kind of the weird and wacky stuff. And I fell over and I had my hands out by the sides of me and I couldn't lift them above my head. There was a weight kind of on my body, and that grabbed my attention. My goodness, God, you are glorious. As a 10 year old, you have captured my heart. You are beautiful. I see you in the doorway, I see you knocking. And so when we think about revival or these kind of historic moments where God's presence comes, quite often we can hear about these signs and wonders, the weird and the wacky stuff, which is basically like God flicking on the light switch. So you might have heard, kind of heard accounts of gold dust, and I, I know people who've been in meetings and they're literally are kind of covered in a dust, kind of tap themselves and plumes of kind of gold come out. I mean, it is weird stuff. They leave the meeting and it's not there anymore. Somebody I, I heard of had a, a gold filling randomly appear in his mouth. It stayed after the meeting. Weird stuff. Attention-grabbing stuff. Somebody else uh, was born without any eardrums, and again, when they encountered the presence of God and his glory, they could hear God created eardrums. Now, that would be attention-grabbing if you've never heard before, and suddenly you can hear everything. Wow, God is grabbing our attention, just like me flicking on the light switch, kicking Josh's bed. But how weird would it be if Josh said, oh my goodness, look at the lies, the bed is shaking, and totally missed the fact that I'm behind it all. In fact, Jesus says, it is an evil and an adulterous generation to crave signs. Why does he say that? Why does Jesus call it an adulterous generation? Basically, Jesus is saying, beware just seeking the hand of God and not the face of God. Don't go from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to pleasure chasing this kind of revival. And so, friends, when we imagine revival, let us not... Do that. Instead, let us remember that God is the one that the signs are pointing to. So, revival is revelation. God has our attention. What is revival about then? The second point I want to make is that rival is reformation. See, why does Jesus stand at the door and knock? Why does he want our attention? First of all, he wants us to wake up, to be revived so that we can join him, that we can respond to him and the work that he started in establishing God's kingdom on earth. What do I mean by that? Revival isn't just a meeting. It's not just a pleasurable high or a great story to tell people. No, no. Revival is about the coming of God's glory and of stewarding it, of establishing God's kingdom here on earth reformation, reforming the stuff in our life. So how does revival then lead to reformation? Well, the answer is repentance, saying sorry to God for the stuff that separates him because we believe that sin and the things in life that kind of go against God's heart equals spiritual death. So how do we get revived? Well, we turn from that stuff that leads to spiritual death. We turn from that stuff and we get revived to God. Let's read what happens to Isaiah then. After he's seen God's glory, he says this. I love the New Century version. He says, Oh no, I will be destroyed because I am not pure and I live among people who are not pure. But I have seen the King, the Lord, all-powerful. Then... One of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What's happening here? Isaiah, in the presence of God and his holiness, his purity, cannot help but notice his own impurity. Isaiah is the mouthpiece of God, and the translation says, I am a man of unclean lips. He is a mouthpiece of God, and yet in the presence of God's holiness, he can but bend the knee. He can but repent and say, God, I'm sorry for this kind of impurity. In fact, that's why Jesus in Revelation in chapter 3, as we began with, he says, hey, the best response to the wake-up call is to what? Be earnest and repent, turn from sin. In this book, this is, I think, a great book, really. It's about prayer and fasting. I found it really challenging. Um, it's on version. if you wanted to look at it. He has a great story, the author, which kind of combines all this stuff, really. Revelation, repentance, reformation. He says this. It was at 4 a.m. Daddy, wake up. It's time to go to church. The daughter was fully dressed. We found out that many of the parents in the church congregation were being woken up by their children. My wife also awakened with a loud knock at the door at 4 a.m. And when she answered the door, nobody was there. She gathered our children together and they went to the church building. And when she opened the door, the glory of the Lord was so strong that she fell on the floor right there, revelation. 150 other people were there. All I could do was just kind of weep in a holy terror because God was there in such breathtaking holiness and glory. Week after week, the Spirit of God would descend on us in his heavy weight glory and what lead us to our knees in continual repentance, revelation, repentance. And listen to this. I learned that we need not only learn how to bring down the glory, but we should also learn how to steward the glory, how to reform our lives and the world around us. Revival isn't just a meeting or a moment in time, but it is the establishing of God's kingdom that calls for revival. So when we look at the history of revivals and moments that God breaks in, we see this. We see this in the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19. In fact, a group of people in the city become Christians, and it changes the economic landscape. In fact, there's business owners, and they say, look, these Christians are now causing our business to go into disrepute, to be slandered. People aren't buying with us anymore, and there's a riot because of it. In 1904, there was a Welsh revival and a commentator said this, the miners prayed together before commencing their shifts in the pits. Football and rugby teams are converted and say some fixtures are abandoned. Pubs are empty, dance halls are deserted. Magistrates have very few cases before them. And more recently, in 1995, the Alpha magazine reported that Sunderland Christian Centre had been experiencing continuous meetings for 43 weeks and that car theft and crime had allegedly dropped by 45% in the city area over the past year. God's kingdom, principles, and values being established here on earth. And I know from my own life, when I have encountered God, my goodness, God challenges some of my political views about things like immigration. He changes the way I vote. God changes the stuff that I want to watch, things that I can't find entertaining anymore. I have a sensitivity to sin. And by way of personal story, and this is my own conscience here, and I'm not putting it on you, but I had a box set um, of a great series that I used to love watching when I was at university, and after really encountering God's heartbeat, I sat down and I I watched it, and I just thought, I can't find this funny anymore. There's so much sex in this that just is not about God's heart for sex that I just can't find this entertaining unless I switch the lights off and I go back to sleep here and numb myself. And so I got rid of that, that DVD. See, when we encounter revival, when we are woken up to stuff, it heightens our sensitivity to things. And friends, then, the point I want to make is that revival, when we pray and imagine revival, it's not just a passive thing where God comes and reveals himself, wham, bam, sham, you know. No, no, it's an active response. We respond to it by stewarding God's glory. That's what revival is. And friends, this is costly. This is going to cost us. And that's the final point, then. Revival is costly, Let's hear what Isaiah says. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And God said, go and tell this to the people. Not only then do we get a revelation of God's glory and a heightened sensitivity to what he might be doing, but we also have our hearts inclined towards people that don't know him. That is quite heavy. There's a song in the 1970s, a guy called Keith Green wrote, and the verse in it said this, the world is sleeping in the night and the church just won't fight because we're asleep in the light. How can we be so dead when we've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, but we can't get out of bed. A hallmark of revival when God comes and reveals his glory we repent we get reformed we want to change things in our life is that we get bold we get courageous to share what we have seen and heard in fact jesus says this he says to his disciples the harvest is ripe quite often we say oh god you know please let my friend come to faith hope somebody else does it jesus says the harvest is ripe what does he say but the workers are few pray to the god of the harvest then that what that the workers would wake up that we would know God's power that we would be courageous and bold but then listen to the words of Jesus he says go I am sending you out like lambs among wolves what an advert why would you want to pray that here I am send me like a sheep among wolves And listen to this in Matthew 10. Jesus says, you will be handed over to the local councils. You will be persecuted. And listen to these really wild words of Jesus. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Why is Jesus saying that? Why is he grabbing our attention? Because elsewhere he says, you know, I'm the prince of peace. I've, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. Why is Jesus saying, I have not come to bring peace but a sword? He says, for I have come to set a man against his parents. Children against their parents. Whoever loves their parents or children more than me is not worthy of me. Why is he saying that? He's saying that following Jesus is costly. Responding to revival and waking up and seeing Jesus at the door and going with him is costly. And if your family chooses to reject that message, and that is going to feel like a sword. For many revivalists or people that have responded to Jesus saying, Wake up, it's even cost them their lives to go. So my question to you this morning, friends in the room and online, is do you really want revival? (laughs) Do you really want God's glory to come down and to steward it at any cost? I want us now just to pause and to pray together before we go into the final song. And this really is just an, an invitational prayer. It's not you kind of pledging to do anything but really it comes from Psalm 139 and it's an invitational prayer and it says hey God search my heart find in me anything that is kind of gets in the way of me waking up and coming to you in the doorway to responding to you lead me in your way that's really what the prayer says and so I'm going to read a line I'm going to invite all of you to repeat this after me and it's just invitational so in this moment, if you feel comfy to, I just love it if you physically opened yourself up to God. Just as a sign of your heart being open to the Holy Spirit who sees and knows all things. I'll repeat this. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any... Offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Why don't you stand and worship?